Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the May 18, 2023 meeting of the Park Open Space and Commission. I'd like to um, call this meeting to order. And uh, thank you, everyone, that's been here and also online. Just a reminder to everyone, this meeting is being conducted in a hybrid format, so members of the public can participate online using the Zoom link posted in the agenda. And we will now move to the next item, item number two on the agenda, which is public comments. And members of the public wishing to comment on items that are not on the agenda are welcome to do so under this public comment item. Please note that commissioners are not authorized to engage in discussion around comments made during this item due to the requirements of the Brown Act. Each speaker will have up to three minutes to make their comments. Since this is a hybrid meeting, we will first look to members of the audience here in the chambers uh, to see if anyone would like to make any comments under the item. And I believe we have a gentleman. I'm sorry? You remind, okay, yeah. Okay. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Hale, Bill Hale. Um, by the way, uh, you do have the right to speak to the public if you want uh, during your meetings. Uh, number two I wanted to mention was that uh, please let's try to minimize the damage to Lagoon Park and the county fairgrounds areas uh, during the coming fair as we restart this again. Um, it just seems to be getting worse every year, and we can certainly try to put a lighter land foot, a, light, a, a lighter foot on the land as we uh, utilize it during the fair. Also, uh, to minimize the closures, which the, uh, does occur, they're minimizing the closures, which is good. Let's keep doing that. And uh, public comments in your minutes. Let's include those if we can, please. Uh, it, it helps you when you come back if you've been away and there's been public comment. Seeing public comment doesn't help you unless you know what the public comment was. Thank you. Any other, com any other comments in the public? Online? Cameron Guardado, there are no speakers in the queue. All right. So we then move to the next item, number three, which is the director's report. We turn to Max for the information. Thank you, commissioners. Uh, Max Corton, director of Marin County Parks. Um, first of all, I wanted to start by acknowledging the service of our outgoing commissioners, uh, Bruce Rafel and Larry Kennings. Larry couldn't be here today, but I just really wanted to appreciate your leadership and your contribution and, and support, so thank you. Um, I also want to give an update on the fee proposal, the fee change proposal we brought to your commission at your last meeting that you recommended to the board. Um, we updated the board during the budget workshops about a month ago, and we received uh, feedback and support from the board for moving that forward. Uh, the, the final proposal will go to the board for a, a board action on uh, June 6th. And then uh, the, we're also doing, this is a busy time in terms of fuels reduction. We have a, a lot of fuel reduction projects going on. There's goat grazing, uh, there's defensible space work. It's the second year of the Greater Ross Valley Fuel Break Project, which is a partnership. It's led by the uh, MWPA, Marin Wildfire uh, Protection Agency. 
Uh, and then it's also, we're looking forward to the first year of implementation of the Greater Novato uh, Fuel Break Project. And both of those are really looking at improving defensible space around uh, those sort of larger community areas. And some of the work is on open space and parks land. Um, it's also a busy time right now for trail work in our preserves. Uh, if you could look out the window there, you would see uh, the uh, Eagle Rock Trail that's currently being, the, the work currently being constructed by our crews. Um, happy to report we had some very well-attended um, community service days on the weekends uh, to support that trail work. So a lot of volunteer hours going into it, but also our professional trail building crews uh, busy at work. Uh, we also had a recent um, uh, public meeting at the Margaret Todd Senior Center in Novato uh, in front of the Marin Commission on Aging um, and with uh, a number of uh, local uh, accessibility groups, in, including the Marin Center for Independent Living. Uh, it was really a great opportunity to talk about some of the projects that we're planning that uh, improve accessibility to our, our parks and trail system. Uh, and then um, we recently had a presentation at our last Bolinas Lagoon Advisory Committee meeting about uh, our partnership with Health and Human Services and the Sheriff's Office and others around uh, people who are unhoused living uh, near uh, Bolinas Lagoon. Uh, and so we really are appreciative of the partnership from HHS and, and the Sheriff and others to help um, find support for those individuals. Uh, and then um, we currently, the pier at McNears is closed. It was damaged by a boat that hit it during the major storms this last winter. We've been working with an engineer on, on a fix for it, and uh, the, um, that project should go to our board in the next few weeks for an emergency repair on the bridge, or on the pier, sorry. And then lastly, um, I just was reminded of this when uh, Bill Hale was speaking, but there's, I want to appreciate Chris Chamberlain uh, and his leadership and Ari Golan from our department who have been working with our county administrator to put together, and our public works and cultural services department to put together uh, some funding uh, in, I think it's $1.5 million in our upcoming budget that's not parks money, but out of the general fund uh, to improve uh, Lagoon Park and um, some of the key features there for the public. So um, really excited to see that, mo that, that work moving forward. And that's all I have. Thank you, Max. Any comments or questions from the commissioners? Thank you. Oh, you have one? Have but he was, he was oh, first. I just, had a, <clears throat> I just had a question just on following up to what the, Mr. Hale spoke about. My, just from a logistical point, it, my memory on this stuff is that if you want to make a public comment, you're not required to, you can make a public comment, but you're not required to give your name. It's not a requirement. You can speak without giving your name. Do you know, do you know the answer to that? I just don't remember it. I, I don't know for sure, but I can't imagine that we could force somebody to give their name. That's I what I would think. But We ask people to just so we can identify them, but I don't know that they're not force. required to. And then to his question about making, and the reason I'm saying that is because if we were to adopt the suggestion that he had, which is to put his name in his comment, would that be something that you'd be amenable to doing in, in the minutes, or that's, is that? 
That's a great question. So we, we work, I'm certainly not the expert in how minutes are supposed to be prepared. We work with our, the clerk of the County Board of Supervisors who does the minutes for the board and we follow their guidance. So um, the minutes that we have reflect their guidance and every time we will bring this proposal along with any others that we've gotten to our, when we meet with the clerk to get feedback. Do you recall at, at Board of Supervisors meetings when people speak, do they, are their names and what they say included? I, I think they are not typically included, okay. but, but I, I will double check. Uh, just a question. And then the other question I had was in terms of the money you were talking about for Lagoon Park, can you give us in a couple sentences what the improvements you're thinking about are? So, um, yeah, let me see if I can remember all of them. So, just ballpark. One one of them is fixing the Cascade Fountain. So, if you're, you know, if you're in this sort of corner closest to the Civic Center, there's a fountain that sort of looks like a cascading creek. Right. Um, that's been broken for several years. So, uh, it would be to fix the pump that powers that that fountain. Um, there's, uh, I think it's some money to plan and design a uh, replacement for the public restroom that's next to the um, uh, the playground in the park down there. It's it's just, uh, um, it's not a very welcoming. That's way down. <laughs> yes, oh, uh, yeah. it's, by, it's, it's right by the playground. So right, it's right. By the jury parking lot. Um, there's actually some money this year to uh, connect the trail. There's a trail around the lagoon that has a sort of missing connection, so part of that's connecting the trail system. Okay, uh, Also replacing some of the broken lighting that's around there. Thanks. But, and then mine. <laughs> Turn on your uh, microphone. I've worked for, in the past, worked for two different, well, three different elected boards, but uh, two of them uh, did uh, require that we uh, specify the comments in the, in the minutes, public comments. <clears throat> uh, so it might be a, a subjective thing in terms of what uh, particular agency's policies are. Um, <clears throat> but I, I actually do favor putting the uh, public comments uh, to have that in the minutes because, you know, the person comes there and makes a comment that should be reflected, in my opinion. Uh, and the other thing is uh, in passing the fee structure, which <clears throat> could you elaborate a little bit on that? Uh, how much did it change from the recommendation that was given from uh, this commission? Yeah, great question. Thank you. So um, we... And again, they have not passed, uh, taken action on the fees, but the, we, I presented an informational item during the budget workshop, and the, the sort of um, broad recommendations from the full board were to uh, remove the entrance fees as we had proposed, um, to um, add more reservable sites, so add more picnic areas, because that's something that's desired by the public but not to substantially, only modestly increase the fees for the larger sites we had proposed, sort of a, a more substantial potential increase. Um, and that mostly we would use Measure A to make up the, that component. I think there's really overwhelming, um, uh, I think I heard from the, the board that, that, you know, 
the need to provide park fees and not wanting to, as we're fixing one sort of equity-focused barrier, not to inadvertently create another? I think it's it's an honorable position. Uh, I just uh, do have a concern about uh, not being able to fully fund the capital needs uh, <clears throat> and uh, major maintenance needs outlined in Measure AA. So I think it'd be good, to, uh, wise to look toward other sources of uh, revenue, state grants, et cetera. Hear that. Uh, I'll just be yeah. quick and support the other two in that it's been my experience throughout the state that public comments should be uh, noted in some summary fashion. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, I'll I'll bring that back. Any question from the audience? Online? Oh, I have a question. Yeah, I had a friend of mine in San Francisco, I believe, who did litigate the point about um, about identifying who's uh, speaking. Uh, the clerk can, if the clerk knows who the person is, uh, identify the person in the minutes. That's the only additional piece of information I can add. Thank you. Questions or comments online? Yes, Larry Menikis, please unmute. Yeah, I'm just thinking in the way um, Marin Water has evolved, and they used to include the comments. Um, for example, the other evening they had probably 60 comments. Those would be difficult <laughs> to all include. And so now they just list the number of comments that they have. And the reason for this is now that we have video, it's, it's pretty easy for any of us um, to go back to a video. And this is in the context of, if we're busy and one, we want to get to the meat of what was discussed during a meeting like this, it could be less than positive if all the, the public comments are included in that. That's all I want to say. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. Chairman Wardala, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Okay, so we're moving to the next item, which is to approve the meetings from the previous me previous uh, commission meeting. Uh, any comments or additions to the minutes? I'll move approval as distributed. We'll approve. Do I have a second? Okay. We vote for approval. All in favor? Aye. Okay. Approve, minutes approved. Um, okay. Moving to the next item, which is number number five, right? Uh, an action item revisions to the Measure A, Funded Natural Lands Preservation and Park Access Grant Program. I'm going to uh, sorry. I'm going to introduce uh, Craig Richardson and also Carl Summers from our. Uh, planning and real estate and government affairs team, and I, as as Craig gets ready to present, I just want to appreciate him and this team for their hard work on this this item. Thanks, Max. I believe there's a present. Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> All right. Well, good afternoon, uh, commissioners. Craig Richardson. I'm a senior planner with uh, Marin County Parks. And I'm excited to be here today to talk to you about our Natural Lands Preservation and Park Access Grant Program. 
Um, we've made some updates to the grant program. Uh, as you all know, Measure A, um, Measure A 1.0 has come and gone, uh, and recently the voters approved Measure A, what I'll call Measure A 2.0. And with that uh, were some changes to the ordinance that affected this grant program um, that allowed us to make some updates to it. Um, so I'm going to talk briefly about uh, what the grant program is and what it sets out to do for folks who maybe aren't familiar with it. Um, and then we're going to look at what we've been able to accomplish with the grant program to date under Measure A 1.0. And then we'll take a real quick look at the differences between Measure A 1.0 and Measure A 2.0, um, and then look at how that affects the uh, grant program moving forward. So next slide, please. All right, so what is it? Um, well, we know it's a Measure A grant program, uh, and it provides matching funds to qualifying organizations for the permanent protection of natural lands and also for improving um, access to parkland. Um, and this is all through acquisition. It's an acquisition grant program. Um, I, I can't see that second bullet, uh, but it's, and neither can you, but um, it is, if you're interested in, in learning more about the, the fine details of the ordinance, you can find uh, the language under the um, natural lands preservation component of the, uh, the ordinance. Next slide, thank you. All right, so if we look back, um, this is what we've been able to accomplish with the, the grant program. So in 2015, we awarded a $100,000 grant to Marin Audubon Society, um, and that helped them to acquire the Corte Madera Marsh, which I believe they've subsequently been able to, to uh, implement a, a large restoration project on. And then in 2018, uh, we again provided a grant to the Marin Audubon for uh, $28,500 uh, to help them acquire the Black Point Wetland. And then, as you all know, because you, you heard an update at the last commission meeting, we have a pending application from the Marin Open Space Trust for the acquisition of Upper Hawthorne Canyon there in San Anselmo, which I know has been a, a longstanding priority for a lot of folks in that community. All right, next slide. Okay, so let's look at what Measure A 1.0 said and what the new ordinance says related to this program. So... <clears throat> Under Measure A 1.0, um, there was a set aside within the Parks and Open Space uh, annual budget of 20% for the preserved natural lands uh, part of the expenditure plan. And at this point, I'll just point out the preserved natural lands part of the expenditure plan, that set aside money for this grant program, but it also set aside money for acquisitions uh, that would be priorities of the department. So it's money that can be used to acquire lands that we're interested in, in owning and maintaining but then can also be provided to outside uh, agencies through this program. Um, the grants in Measure A 1.0 were really intended to be gap-filling only, and what I mean by that is we set uh, grant limits uh, of 25% of the total acquisition cost or $100,000, whichever was less. And we're, we're, the reason we did that was we really wanted to maximize the funds that we were leveraging, um, and we're still doing that, but we've made some tweaks, which I'll talk about in a moment. Um, and then finally, under Measure A 1.0, we were um, geared towards providing funding for the acquisition of open space lands, really for natural resource preservation. So let's, let's shift over now to Measure A 2.0. Um, you can see that uh, under the current ordinance, we've, there, there's a reduction in the allotment uh, to this program of, from 20% to 10%. 
Um, and then we've, we've also increased an emphasis on equity inclusion and inclusion. And I'm going to talk about sort of the practical implications of that on the next slide when we, uh, when we talk about the changes to the grant program itself. Um, and then one of the, the bigger changes of the uh, current ordinance is that we're still providing funding for the acquisition of open space and, and natural resource protection, but we've added the ability to provide funding for the acquisition of parkland. Um, and so the last thing I'll point out on this slide is that, you know, that back to that bullet under Measure A 1.0 where we were talking about providing gap filling uh, funding. We're still doing that to a large degree, but we've removed the 25% limit and we've increased it to 50% of the acquisition costs that, that folks can receive, and we've eliminated the, the dollar amount. So it's, it can be up to 50% of the acquisition costs. And then we've also given ourselves the flexibility in, in communities of color where there's um, funding, additional funding that's needed, we've given ourselves the ability to provide funding beyond that 50% mark. Next slide, please. All right. So how have these changes affected the grant application and program guidelines? Well, um, you know, we've, we've made adjustments to the grant application, which uh, you were provided as part of the, the packet, um, so that it's consistent with the new Measure A ordinance, of course. Um, and one of the biggest changes is that we are allowing for the funding of, of park acquisitions or acquisitions of, of park-like experiences. Um, we've also included annual coordination with qualifying organizations that serve communities of color. Um, and we've actually uh, started some of this work in holding a series of workshops um, where we got to meet with organizations that represent these communities and ha have them review the uh, revised grant application and grant program. And then lastly, uh, you can't see it, and I can't either, but I know it's there. Uh, we, we are offering to provide technical assistance to uh, explore um, opportunities, project opportunities. And specifically, the way we're seeing this play out is in, in communities where there are not either the financial or the technical resources to, um, to pursue uh, projects that would fit under this grant, we're, we're here to provide our in-house expertise and help facilitate projects uh, moving forward in whatever way we can. So next slide. All right, so looking ahead. Um, we are here today asking you guys to make a recommendation that we present these revised uh, program uh, grant application to the Board of Supervisors, which we would like to do in summer of, of uh, 23. Um, and then by fall, we, we will have a grant program website up and running where folks will be able to go to and learn information about the program and download an application and the guidelines. Um, and then we'll start meeting with uh, qualified organizations in fall of 2023. And, you know, <clears throat> with that, we're really looking at building uh, long-term uh, relationships with um, organizations that we traditionally haven't had long, you know, large relationships with, um, including those that represent the communities of color. Uh, and then finally, we'll be ready for proposals in fall uh, or winter. And with that, uh, that's my presentation. Any comments or questions on the oh, Comments or questions from the commissioners first? Michael. Greg, very good presentation. Thank you, and a good overview. And I've been working with um, Kevin uh, right on the Sustainable Agriculture and Food Systems Grant Program. And one issue that came up in those conversations was 
the need to be clear on wh what are, you call them here the communities of color, but yes. I, I would want to make sure first are you both coordinated and, and is there a, a single map and increasingly people are calling these environmental justice communities because it's not just by color, there are you know, a number of factors and maybe you could expand on that and see sure. whether there's a common reference that you, community development and sustainable agriculture are all using. Yeah, thank you for asking that. Um, we absolutely are. You know, Kevin is on our team and we are reviewing each other's uh, grant guidelines and that is um, a major point of coordination is trying to, to figure out how to define um, communities of color. And so what, what we're gonna do moving forward is rely on the Office of Equity, the County of Marin's Office of Equity. They've got, um, they have uh, identified communities in need. And so our plan, and it's written into the grant uh, guidelines that that's, that's gonna be our go-to place for, for determining uh, how best to serve those communities. You bet. Bob? Yes, uh, with the reduction uh, from measure AA to 1.0 to 1.2 or 2.0, yeah. uh, from 28 to 10%, that's obviously a uh, financial impact. Um, under, your, under the section of technical support, yeah. so under that section, when, and, and the, if we're talking about land acquisition, the price of land is clearly not going down. Yeah. Uh, rent. Um, so in your technical support for uh, applicants, is that, do you guide them to other grant sources or? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, we, we anticipate um, helping to identify project partners, um, whether it's, you know, funding or stewardship. Um, but that is, that's the hope, you know, in meeting, in, in building in that annual meeting with um, organizations, our hope is that we can uh, build our understanding of what their needs are, what their capacities are, and then help link them up with folks uh, to provide support where needed. Great. What's some from Ryan Go ahead. Also, also uh, Greg, great, good. Um, I have a couple of questions. Uh, on the on the background sheet where you talked about provides funding for acquisition of open space and parks I assume my understanding is that there was no acquisition funds for parks in 1.0 1, 1. Right. now you're planning to do it for 2.0 so when you say parks I assume that what you're talking about is improved parks that is not just open space lands but parks where there are facilities for people to go to and be a part of bathrooms playgrounds all that kind of stuff so the the acquisition of a park is not necessarily just the acquisition it's also the development so is that right uh do you mean would this program fund development of the park or do you mean um well when you say you're acquiring a park yes it would be land right it would be land being acquired for a park-like experience is that your so yeah and so but just acquiring the land for a park is meaningless unless you yes. actually then develop right. a park with bathrooms and playgrounds yep. and all that kind of stuff yeah so is that a separate line item so that so in the grant uh, application there's a question and it asks the applicant to describe um, the planning associated with this effort and what sort of community outreach they've done 
So we're, we're essentially looking for folks to come to us with a vision for how they plan to uh, develop the site if that's what's needed. Okay. Uh, then, but that would then be uh, funded through a separate, you know, uh, grant or some other funding source. So um, this sort of comes into my next question where I think just following up on what Michael said about um, communities of color. So in just in my mind, the most identifiable communities of color Marin are Marin City, which is in an unincorporated part of the county, which means the the governmental agency that oversees it is the Board of Supervisors, and the canal area, which is actually within the city limits of San Rafael, which is the development of which is overseen by the city of San Rafael. So I guess my question is, if you're going to coordinate with qualifying organizations that serve communities of color and talking about the canal, by necessity, you have to talk about coordinating with the city of San Rafael. Absolutely, yeah, and they're, and they're uh, eligible applicants as well. <clears throat> so the city is? Yeah, cities and towns uh, can apply for the grant funding, absolutely. So, yeah, the plan is to coordinate with cities, towns, and NGOs um, in that mm -hmm. annual coordination. I should have specified that. I had and, planned to. And, like, special districts, so, like, in Marin City, the, uh, the CSD, the CSD yeah, would yeah. be an example. Yeah, or even like the housing authority or, you know, there's other, you know, potential partners. Yeah, no, it'll just, I mean, it'll be interesting because um, places like San Rafael have a budget for parks. So what you're doing is coming in and giving them more money. And Max, you'll remember I talked about this a couple years ago when we were talking about the distribution percentages member for Measure A, and I said at the time, I'd like to see more money go to cities and towns. Remember that? And that, this is the kind of stuff I was talking about. That's exactly right. I think this was, this was actually something that we heard from folks as we were developing this new iteration of Measure A, right, is that, you know, thanks to a lot of hard work from this team, in fact, we've been able to accomplish or are in progress to accomplish some of the big park and county park and open space acquisitions that have been in the works for decades. We're at a place where we don't have a huge shopping list of new county park acquisitions. Right. But the cities and towns have properties that are often in special districts that are often not huge but are maybe small but have an important local significance and sometimes around sometimes around natural lands but sometimes around recreation or connections or things like that. So that's it's really trying to be responsive to what we heard from the community during that outreach process. Well, I live, as you know, I live uh, just beyond the canal area, so I go through the canal every day. And like the, like the Pickleweed Park, you know, the city's trying to really kick up the development and, you know, make it a better place. So it just, it would strike me that this kind of a program would be very helpful to them if they could have more money to you know, improve the park or, where, you know, where, where Terrapin is, you know, that used to be a city lot, which has gone to hell. Um, you know, they could, that's, this is the kind of stuff. So that's why my question was coordination with the city. That's, that's what the question was about. So I'd like, if I can, to come in and just add a couple of things. First off, though, uh, Craig's doing a fantastic job uh, so far. But to add, the, the County Office of Equity, you know, I, I guess it's a, an ongoing iterative process, the, this definition of, of communities of color and what that encompasses, but there is a map actually available on through the Office of Equity. Yep. 
and that we will refer to over time in administering the program. And actually, the the areas called out on that map do obviously encompass the canal uh, in these parts of San Rafael that you're referring to. But there are other areas in the county as well. There's a you know parts of Nevado and even areas of West Marin. So mm. there are other potential focal areas for these kinds of investments and partnerships. The other thing I'll note is that in the ordinance was actually changed between Measure A 1.0 and 2.0 to allow Measure A acquisition opportunity funds to be used to actually improve, make improvements on lands acquired with Measure A acquisition funds. And that, that, that relates, that pertains to us as well. So we acquire a property using Measure A funds. Now we can also use Measure A acquisition funds to um, invest in improvements, you know, gate swinging or, or other types of improvements on those properties we've acquired. But it also opens the door for us to make supplementary grants to the communities and the organizations that we're, you know, making these acquisition grants to to follow up and, and help them uh, implement the, the development the pro- to, to, to actually program these properties that they're acquiring. Great. Thanks, Carl. Any more questions from commissioners? Just okay. a quick follow-up Mike. question. Can you just give us some uh, rough numbers? What was the Measure A uh, budget under 1.0 with the 20%? What's the round number you expect with 2.0 with 10%? I'm gonna I'm gonna probably need some help, but um, I think that the the first round it was about 20 million, if I remember right. So it was a lot, but it wasn't quite that much. So. Sorry, I, and I'm going to present on the budget in a later item so we can maybe get to it then more, but uh, let's see. So it's it's actually the original measure. It was, I'm going to do some quick math here, um, and of course the revenue goes up year after year. So, you know, we bring in $16 million and then 65%, this, that's where $16 million is the current revenue, 65% comes to Marin County Parks, so that's, 10.4 million, and 10 uh, percent of that is uh, about a million dollars. So, a year. a year. So that's what, at the current rate, what we'd expect to bring in. Um, and under 1.0, it wasn't quite 20. It was closer to 15. If I'm, if my mental math, mental arithmetic is roughly accurate. Yeah. So it's, I mean, yeah, roughly two is what it would be. At the current at the current rate, but it current rate, but it was we were bringing in less revenue before, so it was less. It was roughly fifteen million that came in and out the door in one point Thank you. And yeah, and one more question for me. Uh, I'd like to first say this is a fantastic work about, especially in increasing the emphasis in equity and inclusion. Can you give us some examples of how how it's going to be increased the equity and inclusion with this uh, 2.0 version? Sure. Well, for one, we're, um, you know, I talked about building in that annual uh, meeting with, with qualifying organizations. That's, that effort is going to really be focused on um, identifying those organizations that serve communities of color and building relationships with those organizations um, so that we can, uh, you know, th- those are folks that serve those communities. And so we want to build those relationships to make sure that we're maximizing our support for those communities as well. Um, beyond that, you know, the technical assistance is, an, is another piece um, where uh, we are hoping that we can uh, help to improve equity of access to this funding just by simply providing expertise where it's needed. Um, so I think that those are, are probably the, 
the big pieces, re relationship building and technical assistance. Thank you. Any questions or comments from public in the chambers? Question from people online? There are no speakers in the queue. Okay. We go next to um, vote on the recommend is to re recommend the amendments to be presented to the Board of Supervisors. Do I hear any? Move. Second. We have, okay. Uh, do we vote now? We vote? Anyone proving? Yep. All in favor. All in favor. So Thank you. Approved by unanimously. In the next. Take the rest of the day off. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Craig. No, item number six is an informational item and is the presentation of the proposed, proposed fiscal year 2023-2024 Open Space District Road and Trail Work Program. Thank you, Commissioners. Uh, again, Max Corton, Director of Mint County Open Space. I'd like to ask uh, John Campo to come up here, um, who's our uh, principal planner managing our road and trail work plan. And uh, this is part of our annual budget process. You know, there's always been a significant amount of uh, community interest in our road and trail planning. And so to provide um, an extra level of um, transparency around that planning, we invite John here each year to share the work that we are expecting uh, to do in the coming year with your commission and the public. Thanks, Max. Good afternoon, commissioners. Um, can I get, there it is. Yeah, I'll keep this brief. Um, a lot of these projects that I'm gonna to touch on today I've um, spoken about in the past, so I'll just do a high-level overview of what our 2023 road and trail plan is looking like. Next slide. So our first project um, is the West Baltimore Trail. This is in Baltimore Canyon. Next slide. And so it, it's a small little trail that connects to the Piedmont Trail. Next slide. And so um, we've been working on this for a few months, uh, partnering with the conservation, California Conservation Corps, North Bay. Uh, so we've been working with their core members and their team and our team, next slide, in putting this um, staircase in. And so this is, um, it's a relatively short trail, but it's an important gap closure uh, for this neighborhood right off of West Baltimore Ave. And it provides access to the neighborhood up to the Baltimore Trail. So project's complete and um, very much appreciated. So that's a good, complete project. Next slide. And as Max touched on a little earlier, um, we about a month ago, we started implementing our memori memorial trail improvement project. So if the curtains were open, it's just right through the windows. Um, next slide. This is a, a very exciting project. Um, it, it's about 1.7 miles of trail. Um, and you see in this photo, it's just above the Terralinda High School. And it's got four different trail segments, a couple of hiking-only trails, one equestrian trail, and the big yellow one through the middle is a, a full multi-use trail. Um, so uh, next slide. As Max also mentioned, uh, we've had a couple of volunteer days that were quote-unquote sold out. They're very popular. Um, there's been a tremendous community support for this. Um, I don't live too far from here. One of my neighbors was telling me she couldn't get into the volunteer day because it was so much interest. Um, and we're starting to implement a couple of the trail bridges, and uh, we'll be working on this through the summer. Next slide. 
another really exciting project that I, I know I've spoken about several times. We've been working on this for about seven years now. Um, is the Roy's Redwoods project. And um, I was actually out there all morning with the design team working on some details. Um, also, Rob Lepore over there was with me, who's my co-project manager. Um, this is a one-tam project, and we're in the process of the environmental review. We're, we're close to wrapping that up. I'm going to be bringing it to the board um, of directors on June 13th for approval of the CEQA document. And um, if that project is approved, we'll start implementing this um, this August. So very exciting project. Uh, still wet in some spots, but it's it's beautiful out there. A lot of ticks, so be careful if you go. Um, next slide. Um, so the, our Stafford Lake Accessibility and Trail Improvement Project, this one, um, we've still got a few years of planning to go on this, but... Um, this is a busy slide, and I think what I'm trying to illustrate here is the multicolored segments. Um, are, our plan connects all these segments together, and it will provide connectivity to the playground, to the bike park, to the disc golf course. Right now, if you go to Stafford Lake, you actually have to walk on the, on the road to get from one area to the other, and so we really want to get people off the road. And uh, another thing that this will do is um, it has something for everybody. It will provide a, an ADA concrete pathway around the lake or parts of the lake, which will be great. Um, it'll also have um, earthen trails for cyclists. And we know this is a cyclist destination with the mountain bike park. Um, and, it, and it provides that continuity from one section to the other. So. We're hoping to start the CEQA document um, later this year for this project, and I'll certainly bring it back to this commission. Next slide. Um, every year, like always, we're doing infrastructure improvements in our parks with different trail bridges and resurfacing trails. Um, this was a project that we did around Pacheco Pond in Novato, and I mean, this is really just to show off our, the skill of our trail crew. Uh, they built these rock steps going up to the pond and improve the trail, which will also improve habitat for the western pond turtle. It's just a neat project. We put this photo on our Instagram feed, and social loved it, so I thought I'd share it with you today. Next slide. And as always, we partner with our brothers and sisters at the fire departments, the local and county, um, to prioritize road improvements for emergency access. Uh, this year, we'll be working on Toyon Fire Road, um, in Cascade Canyon and um, Octopus Fire Road in Camino Alto. So we'll be making those improvements. Next slide. And to support all of these road and trail projects, uh, we'll be um, growing native plants in our community-driven native plant nursery just at the Lagoon office over here. Um, it's, um, it's a really popular spot for volunteers, and it all, all the plants that we grow support all of these road and trail projects. Next slide. And of course, um, everything that we do and all this planning, uh, we want to take care of what we have. We want to plan these projects in a thoughtful manner to protect the habitat for the sensitive critters in our open space. Uh, next slide. And that, that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Any question from commissioners? I just have a very Quick question because I don't remember the answer. When you were referring to the trail above Terralinda, what is there? What's 
are e-bikes allowed on that road? Yeah, um, so the, there's four trails. One of the trails will have um, full multi-use access. Including so e-bikes? No, no, no. So it includes um, bikes, um, equestrians, and hiking. Um, e-bikes are not allowed on earthen trails. Okay. Yep. Thanks. Any question from the public and chambers? Oh, you have one. Sorry. Just, just a kind of myth and reality comment. Um, there's e-bikes all over. <laughs> I see e-bikes all over the trails. And I don't. I have one. I don't know that there's uh, any way to actually enforce uh, a prohibition. So it might be at some point in time to revisit that policy to see is there an area where they should be allowed or because um, people use e-bikes on the, on the roads anyway. And sometimes it could be dangerous without specific rules and things. Yeah, I just add they are allowed as other powered mobility devices for people with disabilities with a speed limit of six miles per hour. In, our, in the open space, fire roads and trails where bikes are allowed. Um, and, you know, we're always sort of looking at different emerging trends to figure out if there's opportunities that we should revisit our code. You know, your, your commission was really important in when we revisited our code around e-bikes and the multi-use paths. Um, and... You know, Ari Golan, who manages all of our code, is has been connected and following and talking to all the other partner agencies that are looking at this East Bay Regional Parks, Sonoma County Parks, Mid Peninsula Open Space District, Marin Municipal Water District, um, National Parks or State Parks. So every all of these different agencies are are looking at this same issue, and so we're learning from all those experiences. So. If there, you know, if in the future it's something that we bring to your commission, you know, we'll bring all of, of what we've learned from uh, our partners elsewhere. Just observing young people, they don't seem to have the old pedal pusher anymore. <laughs> I mean, we're not talking about, you know, people with a, certainly people that are impaired or older people that need it. That's great. But I'm observing you know, youth having it. So, and I'm going, what, you know, you're 12. What do you need that for? <laughs> He's got it. <laughs> so it's just an observation that more and more people seem to be using e-bikes. And I, I would just follow up that um, you mentioned all the agencies. You didn't mention Mill Valley, which just adopted a rule on e-bikes. And I think it would be something that would be good to uh, calendar for a future meeting because, the practical uh, aspect of it is that the kids are out using it, and if we're trying to make these facilities accessible, I think it would be important to reconsider that. Thanks. Yeah, yes, and we do work. So the cities and towns are less necessarily connected to our open space dirt road and trail system, but we work really closely with them on our paved multi-use path uh, system, and so... Mill Valley Police Department is, you know, a close partner as well as the fire department that responds to emergencies, their town council, um, city council, and their staff, um, the local BPACs, which are their bike pedestrian advisory committees, um, safe routes to schools. We work really closely with all those folks, especially around the multi-use paths. Um, 
and and we're always sort of we have an adaptive management approach, right? Where we're learning from uh, the experiences that we're hearing about and finding out about in our paths and from our local partners. And one thing we're doing is uh, improving our signage on our pathways. You know, we started this last year. It's a big part of our work plan this coming year. Thank you. Pat has follow-up question, then Bruce. Great presentation, really. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Just sort of a follow-up that Pat reminded me about. I, I, if, you, if you go to a middle school or high school when they're letting out, you'll see a lot of kids on e-bikes. And so I concur with his, with his observations. There are some cities in the state that require bicycles to be licensed. Has that topic ever arisen in the county that you're aware of? Yeah, so in the first, again, the e-bikes, as your commission was a big part of, they are allowed on our paved Maltese paths. We work closely with the schools because, for instance, Mill Valley, the middle school is right on the path. Yep. Tons of kids go to school, and so we're able on the pathway. And so they're a great partner in terms of getting information out about being safe um, and being a good you know, citizen. The... Uh, um, the second piece about licensing, there's a couple challenges around potential license for bicycles or e-bicycles. One is um, that the cost, the, the amount that you would recoup from a license, charging for license is unlikely to pay for the cost of implementing a program like that. And then I think the additional challenge is that one of the great things about bicycles is with, you know, partners uh, who provide you know free or low cost bicycles to people? It's a free or low cost form of transportation, right. and so by requiring a license, you put a potential barrier in front of somebody who you know could have a, a really low cost form of transportation that's also you know better for the earth than ride, driving a car. Okay, um, and those are just a couple of sort of the challenges around that, but. It's something that has been brought up many times over the years, and we've considered and, and talked to others about, but those are some of the challenges. Okay, thanks. Any other questions? Did public, the pub, question in the public or comments? The chamber first? Online? The first speaker is Nona Dennis. Please unmute. I was going to withhold comment because the subject, uh, really, of John's presentation is really not e-bikes. That just happens to come up as an incidental question, and it comes up over and over again. The, the question of safety, if you're out on the middle school pass at uh, discharge time or any other time, kids are riding bikes, and it's certainly not, <clears throat> not class one, and uh, they're not even, not even trying to pedal. So it, I think that at some point it, it does need to be revisited by the the pros and cons need to be revisited by the uh, by, by this commission. Uh, it's been pending for a long time. You're absolutely right. Uh, E-bikes are all over the mountain. They're all over the trails. Uh, there seems to be no attempt, uh, no matter that the law says with county parks that they're not allowed. So so let's get real and find a way to to deal with it in a in a realistic way. Thanks. Thank the next you. speaker is Larry Minikis. Please unmute. Yes, you know I can attest from I can attest from personal experience that um, we have e-bikes 
all over the trails, and we have them riding illegally on open space trails. I've reported them several times uh, during the winter, going both up and down very, very steep areas. Um, the, the issue really is about technology, and the technology is outpacing the ability of land managers and, and really traffic um, super all of government to really come to grips with this new age we're moving into, where we're into these, these personalized, uh, and in some cases high-powered um, pieces of equipment that really are unregulated, and that, that is the downside. Um, you can see these, you can see some of them going, and I've clocked them doing 36 miles per hour. They're only supposed to go 28, but it takes very little, very little to uh, overcome that and to um, hype them up. What, what I would suggest to the district is to formalize this process of looking at what um, others around the world and around the country in particular are doing in terms of um, addressing this issue and, and finding a way to do it in a way that's equitable to everybody. Uh, everyone should have a right to be out there, but the, there's also the safety factor and there's the environmental factor. Um, sometimes it can be too much of a good thing. But I think the best thing we can do at this point, and I, I agree with, with uh, the members, that uh, to bring this back, uh, but form, formalize it, and it, it could take two, two to five years to do this, but it, it's something that really has to go through a process. And we probably have to work through our state government. I, I'd like to make one other point, is that government, local governments, by law as I understand it, cannot license bicycles. Uh, this, this, there's a state law that uh, does not allow this. So if there's going to be any change in this, and if there's ever a licensing program, it probably has to be administered at the state level, very much like we do DMV for other motor vehicles. And with that, thank you so much. Chairman Gordello, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Thank you. We move to item number seven. Update on planning efforts for evolving shorelines in March restoration project. Thank you, commissioners. Again, Max Gordon, director of Marin County Parks. And um, fight up uh, Rob Laporte from Golden Gate National Parks Conservancy and Veronica Pearson, who's one of our senior planners. And uh, I just want to start by really expressing my gratitude to uh, the two of them for their leadership. This has been one, I, I'm not, I think we've presented on this in, in the past um, to your commission, but this planning process has been one of the most sort of fun and enjoyable and um, open uh, sort of public outreach efforts that's included bike rides, kayaking, nature hikes, story walks, uh, tacos, uh, happy hours, burritos, pizza, and also a lot of opportunities for the community to be engaged around this work. But fun ways that bring out, sometimes we, we don't do a good job of bringing out all of the community. And so these are, are this leadership it represents a really creative team that has done a really amazing job of bringing out a wide variety of community members to get engaged around this project. And so I just want to start by appreciating uh, Rob and Veronica and their leadership. Thank you, Max. 
I, I'm going to get there. I have a slide that shows it, actually. So uh, good afternoon, commissioners. Happy to be here you, with you today. I'm also here accompanied by Rob Laporte with the Golden Gate National Parks Conservancy. Some of you um, may know that this is a one-tam priority project, so we are working very close with the Parks Conservancy in designing and developing the concepts um, behind this project. But before we really... Uh, jump into sharing out some of the illustrations. Oh, okay. Well, yes, I'm happy to do the best that I can. Uh, so um, One Tam is a coalition of partners that own and manage lands around Mount Tamalpais. So it includes Marin County Parks and uh, open space as well as uh, the State Parks and National Park Service, Marin Municipal Water District, and I think that's it. Um, and so the coalition works together um, under um, the support and guidance of the Parks Conservancy to prioritize projects that are important to um, all of the partners for preserving the health of the watershed for Mount Tam. Yes. So, um, yes, so I, am, I have included some new slides that might not be in your packet that you received, and it's also been updated online, just so I can go over a little bit more of the project history for some of you who haven't uh, been able to, uh, have, were not on the commission um, uh, a few years ago when we presented last. So I believe the last time we presented was in September of 2020. Next slide, please. So this is, these are the items that we're going to go over with you today. As I said, we're going to uh, provide uh, some background for some of you who, who are unfamiliar with the project, then go into the project updates, talk about our partner coordination, as well as upcoming events that we are planning to share out the, the designs that we have to date, and also uh, we'll have time to answer any of your questions. But before we jump into even more, uh, I just want to ground us all on what is the project area for this, um, this particular project. And what you see here in the uh, green is the Bothine Marsh Open Space Preserve. So this work is primarily focused on lands that we manage. Um, though we are coordinating and partnering with the Flood Control District, in particular at looking at ways that we can improve the connect kit connectivity of Coyote Creek to South Bothane Marsh. And we've been really fortunate that they've provided some support and uh, as well as not just their engineering staff, but also funded the modeling work that we've done that uh, look at creating uh, channel connections that we'll share with you in the next slides. But you can see here that the uh, Mill Valley Sausalito multi-use path bisects the, the marsh, and um, that has had a huge influence on how we look at the designs that we were developing. And uh, with that bisecting the marsh, we generally refer to uh, the North Bothine Marsh and South Bothine Marsh, the areas to the north and south of the trail. Um, and there's actually quite a bit difference of um, uh, landscape evolution that's happened in North and South Bothine. And uh, a lot of what we have, know about the preserve is from 
studies that we started doing back in, uh, in 2017. Uh, which I will uh, get to in a minute here too. So before we just move from here, I'll just say that, um, as you can see, the southern portion of the project is Coyote Creek, but we are looking at connections to McGlashan Trail. Uh, and then uh, we also, in our original concept development, looked at the multi-use path alignment along North Bothine, um, Miller Avenue. And I'll tell you a little bit more about uh, where we're at in, in that design um, as well. So if we can move to the next slide. This is the visioning that, at uh, the vision statement that was created around the project. And I was, as I mentioning, we had a number of studies that we did and it was really born out of a lot of the work that was done by BayWave, looking at the future impacts of climate change and sea level rise to the county and noticing that with 10 inches of sea level rise, there is gonna be a tremendous impact to the habitats, um, you know, primarily the tidal wetlands within the preserve. And so we started in um, 2016 and into 2017, a number of technical studies were produced that looked at the historical ecology of the marsh uh, and how the marsh had evolved over time and with human influence and what the potential future of the marsh was gonna be with sea level rise and climate change. And um, as Max was talking about, we spent a year just sharing out the reports to the public, and we did this through a number of different ways and asking the public, you know, what is it that you would like to see? Um, what do you vision for how we can adapt this uh, unique space to sea level, sea level rise? And so what we heard was that the community was really willing to rise to the challenge of addressing sea level rise in innovative ways and approaches. They also really want to preserve this year-round recreational um, access point and carbon-free transportation network, as well as uh, embracing the responsibility that we all have to make sure that this is space for not only future um, generations, but also for the, the wildlife and the species that occupy the marsh there now. So why don't we go ahead and move on to the next slide. And you can see this is one of the events. We had a couple of kayaking events. One of them was tied to King Tide, so the community could see what the future could look like. You know, what we see with the King Tide event is likely what's going to happen uh, in the near future by mid-century and be just a regular occurring event. And um, next slide. Uh, we, we also had social hours. This one that you see here was in particular at the wrap-up when we had produced the vision document and were celebrating all the work we had done. There was uh, you know, scavenger hunts, there was bike rides, there was lectures at the library with uh, a really well-known fluvial geomorphologist who uh, did a large part of the historical ecology study. Um, so in the end, we, we celebrated with the community uh, all the work that everybody did to put and put into it to put together the document. And um, in that document that was produced, it was uh, called the initial planning memo. We uh, also looked at three different concepts. If Next slide, please. And in those three different concepts, uh, from surveying the community, what we heard was that majority were in favor of 
what we had called uh, Ring the Marsh, which is what you're seeing here, and that is looking at relocating the marsh to the edge of the preserve. And there is a number of benefits that that provided that the community can see. And uh, so this has been the concept that we have been working from to develop the 30% design set. And uh, so this is what we heard as what was has been the preferred approach of the community and all those who um, have a, a stake and interest in, in the marsh and the, the trail itself. Next slide, please. Um, in that uh, planning memo that I mentioned that is all, all available online, uh, we also outlined the pros and cons of looking at the different trail options, the, the raise in place, span the marsh, and the ring the marsh. And we also looked at different resiliency measures that we could take to improve the, the wetland habitat in both, both north and south Lothane. So without getting too far into it, um, I'll, I have just one more slide that will just talk about how we got to the ring the marsh concept. So next slide, please. So there was a number of different factors that we looked at, and um, each of uh, the alternatives we uh, examined, you know, what the benefits would be for public access and trail connectivity, uh, the impacts of the trails on ecological function, and then, of course, cost was a big thing that came into consideration, and the regional guidance that is out um, and available uh, from the different regulatory agencies and oversight um, uh, committees. And so quickly, you know, one thing that we found out was that under concept one, it was really a barrier to like leave the, the, mar the trail in place and to elevate it uh, on uh, fill would create, and it, it would create more fill in the wetland um, and it would increase that barrier of tidal exchange into South Bothine, which is needed to uh, add sediment to the wetlands. Um, and uh, that left concept two and three, with two having the least amount of fill and th three having some fill. But the benefit that we found with concept three was that it, that fill could create transitional habitat for wetlands, so one of the things that we're really lacking in South Bothine is high marsh habitat. High marsh is critical for uh, federally and state endangered California uh, ridgeways, or the, excuse me, the ridgeways rails, and we have a population there that we would really like to help sustain um, for as long as we can, and the limiting factor there for them is refuge during those high tide events. And, and it's not only them, you know, that species that uses that high marsh habitat, lots of other water birds and shorebirds usually go to higher ground when the tides come in. And that is what is like at most at threat with sea level rise in uh, the South Bothine uh, Marsh. Uh, and another benefit that we found, we heard from the public, is that with Concept 3, we'd also be removing a visual and noise impact for um, for water birds and shorebirds, and uh, concept three, uh, we also found to be the most consistent with like the regional strategies for sea level rise adaptation, and um, also could also provide some potential compatibility with future flood protection. 
So I think that is um, pretty much what I have to say on that. And we're going to move over to the next slide, and I'm going to transition here to Rob, and he's going to walk you through all the details uh, on the concept that we've developed today. Uh, thank you, and um, it's nice to be here today, and I'm going to do my best to see this on the small screen, but um, I guess walking through some of the proposed um, project elements um, that we've worked through as part of our preliminary design or 30% design process, um, this is essentially um, what's coming out of this, this current phase, and um, I'm just going to walk down first through the trail and user experience elements of the project and then touch on some of the marsh resilience aspects. Um, so if you can see on, on your slides, uh, figure number one, um, that's just the existing Mill Valley um, Sausalito multi-use path. And at this point through North Lithian Marsh, we're not proposing to um, do any adaptations. Um, to that portion of the trail. Um, we think that could be part of a future project that um, is combined with improvements to Miller Avenue. Um, so what we're really looking at is elevating the multi-use path starting at point number two. Um, it's across from the Tam High Athletic Fields um, where Miller Avenue turns into Monte Boulevard. And at that point, the trail would start ramping up um, to gain an elevation that would be resilient um, to projected sea level rise in mid-century. So it's somewhere around 13 feet. Um, and I think the trail right now is somewhere around an elevation of six or seven feet. Um, so it's a significant ramp up, um, but we would be fully um, ADA accessible, so it's a gradual ramp. Um, and that wing the marsh concept essentially takes the new multi-use pathway along El Monte Boulevard and um, it would provide a new connection to the Almonte neighborhood at Rosemont Avenue, so that's number four. And um, continuing on to the Tam Junction area, um, which is the intersection of Almonte Boulevard and Shoreline Highway. Um, and that would be the primary um, new access point along the multi-use path. Um, and then moving along the trail would um, be on an elevated embankment. Um, there's lots of existing high ground there that the trail could um, be built on top of. And then we would cross Coyote Creek. Um, and that's basically the end of the proposed um, new multi-path um, route. Uh, and it would connect back into the existing McGlashan pathway on the south side of Coyote Creek. Um, and then moving into um, some of the features for the marsh resilience, um, Veronica mentioned that we've been working with the Flood Control District on ways to um, establish a title or a, a connection to Coyote Creek to Bothine Marsh. So there's a whole series of proposed um, new channels that we would excavate to connect the creek into the marsh. And when um, we would excavate those channels. The um, spoils would be placed on the side of it, and um, it would be, create opportunities for the high marsh or that high tide refuge habitat. Um, and those are 
not only along Coyote Creek, but they're distributed throughout North and South Lothian Marsh um, to improve drainage, create more habitat. Um, let's see, and then um, a really important feature is that the existing location of the, the multi-use path um, by removing the trail from that current location, we can restore all of that area um, again to tidal marsh and it provides opportunities to create um, more um, consistent tidal exchange between Richardson Bay and the marsh itself. Um, we're also proposing to maintain a, a small amount of the existing trail embankment as like a pedestrian pathway. Um, part of our public outreach that we've been doing, we've heard a lot of um, comments that people really love that experience of being in the marsh and um, we think there's a way to have um, a short uh, pedestrian trail which would get you more into the interior of the marsh without um, so much impact. Um, it's also um, an important access point for PG&E. They have their um, boardwalks to the transmission towers out there so they would um, be able to maintain that access without any interruption. Um, there's also several other um, habitat or marsh resilience features. Um, basically, wherever there's um, raised embankments, we would um, gradually slope down to the marsh. Um, and there's other features such as um, coarse beaches that would be created on the marsh edge. Uh, marsh is actively eroding away because of wave energy from the bay. Um, and there's some other smaller features that are still um, need to be further designed, but we're considering things like um, uh, barrier reefs or um, artificial reefs out in, within the bay. Um, so I think we can skip to the next slide. And just to highlight um, that pedestrian pathway that I had been mentioning, this is just a zoom in of that location. So again, where the trail would start to ramp up to gain elevation, um, we're looking at a small boardwalk um, that would go out to the marsh. And a really, um, I guess, key part of that feature is that um, by making it a boardwalk, it opens up opportunities to create new tidal channels in between north and south Lothian Marsh. Um, currently, the, the rail embankment acts as a barrier to um, wildlife moving in between those marshes for water to be moving in between those marshes. Um, and also the exchange of sediment that's going along um, tidal channels. And we can go to the next slide. Um, so here's um, just some of the ecological outcomes that are really the key focus of the marsh resiliency effort um, and restoration effort. Um, our goals really are to just remove any barriers um, to um, water moving between the creek and the marsh and water moving between the bay and the marsh. Um, so again, that's improving the ecological connectivity, the tidal um, connectivity and circulation. Um, that's critical to the long-term resilience of this marsh because we're looking at ways to get more sediment delivered onto the marsh itself so it can keep building elevation as sea levels rise. Um, and again, just removing some of the, um, the noise and, and visual impacts to wildlife from 
uh, recreation and transportation. Um, I've gone into some of the, the channels and, and the high marsh berms already. Um, there's a really important habitat features. Um, and we think at this point with um, these preliminary designs that we can essentially have um, no net impact to existing tidal marsh um, or to tidal marsh overall. But essentially, there might be one acre's worth of um, impacts to marshes because of proposed improvements, but we can restore an additional acre of marsh um, along the existing multi-use path and restoring that area. Uh, next slide. Um, safety is one of the highest priorities that we've heard from the community in all of our outreach. Um, and so this slide is showing the proposed um, pathway width, which is 18 feet. Um, right now it's about 10 feet on average. Um, and that's within like the eight foot paved surface and the two foot shoulders on each side. So um, this layout is showing um, what we believe will be a much safer um, for all the different users um, of the multi-use path. And next slide. Um, another thing we've heard in a lot of our outreach is just a um, desire to maintain that experience of um, the wetlands and the marsh and the shoreline and, and water. Um, and through this, um, the new location of the pathway, um, we believe that we still are able to maintain that really intimate experience with, with the wetlands. Um, and also, um, another concern we heard was that by moving the trail closer to the road, there might be um, a lot of noise or just um, not as nice of experience as being next to the road. And what this slide is demonstrating is the actual location of the pathway as it goes along Almonte Boulevard. And it's, it's actually like 43 feet away from the roadway. Um, partially, this is to avoid um, a constraint with uh, a sewer line that's in that location. Um, so we hope, and then, so it's 40 feet, three, 43 feet away from the roadway. It's also significantly lower than the roadway, um, but also at the same time, um, high and dry out of future projected sea level rises through mid-century. Um, so I think we will be maintaining a, a nice user experience um, with this new alignment. Um, and the next slide. This is just showing uh, an early rendering of what that new pathway might look like in that same location along Almonte Boulevard. And next slide, please. Um, this is a, a final rendering um, of the new Tam Junction trailhead that we were proposing. Um, we did a lot of outreach on um, the desired amenities and experience of a new trailhead here. Um, and we've previously shown two different renderings that showed you know, a more minimal approach and then a, a very expanded approach um, with lots of amenities and a, kind of a more developed experience. And I think through our outreach, we found that um, there was common ground for you know, doing a lot of habitat restoration in this area, 
but then providing some basic user amenities. So just to highlight a couple, um, we would have a, a connection from the pathway to an existing um, bus stop, as well as an existing crosswalk at a Rosemont Avenue. Um, that's on the north, or sorry, the left side of your screen, sort of in the middle. Um, we would improve existing parallel parking um, along that roadway with a sidewalk, um, just to provide a safe route of travel to the trailhead. Um, we would also formalize existing parking um, that is just kind of a dirt lot at this point, um, but we would add ADA accessible parking and striping to just organize the, the parking in that area um, and also provide a vehicle turnaround. Um, and we're hoping that that will just improve the safety of that area and just facilitate um, good circulation. Um, we're also proposing a restroom um, and again, along with the ADA accessible parking spots, a restroom is a really important feature to um, just make the site welcoming and usable for, for everyone. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a minimal feature, but there is some, a small area where people could informally gather um, and be off the main trail um, and just have more of an overlook experience. Um, and then finally, this area as it currently is, is all very disturbed, probably fill, um, not very much um, native plant habitat. So we would do a lot of um, native plant, native planting and um, just create higher value habitat and create that transition zone um, that could turn into potentially future wetlands with sea level rise. Um, and then next slide, please. Um, this is illustrating um, the southern extent of the project area. So again, Coyote Creek is right through the middle. Um, and as you're moving from that Tam Junction trailhead, um, this is illustrating a new, fairly substantial bridge that would have to cross Coyote Creek um, and then connect down to the existing McGlashan Trail or pathway. Um, this image is also showing the decommissioned um, existing trail or the old railroad embankment and just turning that back into wetland habitat. Um, and it's also just showing a, the potential for an overlook um, where there currently is a bridge over Coyote Creek. Um, and you'll see there's a, there's a couple arrows in, in the red um, once you get over the bridge at Coyote Creek. Um, showing a potential new route for um, a multi-use path that might get incorporated to a larger uh, planning effort with Shoreline Highway and Manzanita and Highway 101. That's a prob problematic area with lots of flooding, so maybe there's a way that uh, a future um, pathway could be incorporated into that, um, that roadway network, um, but that's not a part of the project at this point. Um, And the next slide, please. Um, Veronica mentioned just some of the partner coordination, um, and it's been mentioned previously, but yes, just working with PG&E um, to understand their easements and the constraints with those high voltage power lines that are going through the middle of the marsh right now, um, just making sure we have proper clearances, uh, making sure that they can still get out to those towers. Um, 
We've also been coordinating with the Sewerage Agency of Southern Marin, or SASM, um, just to make sure that the project um, is copesthetic with that sewer line there. Um, they also have a pump station out there that um, we're just cognizant of, and we might be able to have some um, coordinated improvements out there. I just mentioned Caltrans. We've just been um, meeting with them semi-regularly to just stay up to date on each other's plans in the area. Um, and again, with the, with the flood control district, they've been an important partner uh, moving at this whole project. Um, so just moving forward with, on the next slide, please. Um, we are um, constantly doing community engagement um, on this project, and um, we will be presenting a lot of the slides that you've just seen um, out to the community and um, various events. We're going to go out with the, the one TAM van on site um, and just be present to talk about the project. Um, we're also leading tours out there uh, next week. Um, Veronica and I have been attending um, just very com various community um, stakeholder meetings or events and just doing presentations on the project. Um, we also stay in close coordination with other county agencies um, and, and partners. And then just the one event to highlight is um, we're hosting a, a coffee hour um, at the uh, um, Good Earth a grocery store right there in Tam Junction. Max will be there and Supervisor Stephanie Moulton-Peters will be in attendance just to talk through the project and answer any questions. Um, and then we're just attending other community events, um, for instance, like Creekside Fridays that um, the uh, Community Service District in Tam Valley hosts. Um, and then the last thing is that we're working on updating some of the on-site signage just to reflect some of the, the current planning that we're doing. Uh, and the next slide, please. Um, yeah. Okay, so um, what we got in addition to what Rob presented as our upcoming events is we, we have met with the Bay Regional Regulatory Integration Team, which is a, a group of regulatory agencies that have oversight over this project and have presented these concepts to them and gotten feedback on additional analysis that they would like us to see done um, to help inform the permitting process uh, as well as indications of you know, pro uh, measures that, that they may be requiring and, and just giving us overall feedback that can help us in the next stages of design. And we are about to be posting the full 30% design plans in the next couple of weeks and we're also going to be developing an application to request additional funding from the San Francisco Bay Restoration Authority that would fund the 60% design as well as uh, environmental review and permitting. And hopefully if we are able to secure that funding, we can move ahead with developing those 60% designs, which should be hopefully complete around 2025 um, and then environmental review would happen about that shortly after that in, in the 25, 26. Next slide. So uh, that about wraps up what we have and uh, your 
welcome to reach out to me if you have any questions in the future. Uh, but of course, we're here right now and can hopefully clarify anything that you might uh, have questions on right now. I'm from Pat first, then Michael. Yes, uh, currently in the Senate and in Assembly, there's two versions of a large resource bond, a $15 billion bond, actually. <clears throat> so um, I don't know if they'll be successful, but if they are, they'll merge at some point in time. And uh, uh, certainly there's uh, significant amounts of money in there for uh, uh, this type of restoration. So it's something to keep an eye on and your parent agencies should be, you know, focused on that as as this project could have significant funding in the future, regardless of other funding that exists currently. Um, also, you're, I, I really like the idea of opening up more tidal flows so you can have, you know, better marshland and even uplands, which you indicated are, and they are very important for habitat. Good, you've got the community. Both of you have the community very involved, and uh, working with agencies like PG&E that are, you know, impacted and and to, you know, mitigate whatever needs they might have. Um, so uh, yeah, I think it's quite a ambitious but wonderful project. Uh, I I also congratulate you on uh, the presentation, but I. And I realize you've got a lot of history that you've been working through. Uh, however, I, I, as a, a bicyclist and one-time commuter who used that um, connection for 10 or 15 years when I was going into the city, you know, I really see a significant disadvantage when you go bringing the marsh. And uh, also, you're, you're having the boardwalk come in halfway into the marsh. so. You can still have what you had mentioned with an elevated, uh, the concept two, elevated concept, achieve all of the ecological outcomes um, at uh, some significant cost reduction. And I would encourage you to consider trying to keep alive concept two for comparison purposes, because I'd, I'd also, uh, again, living in Southern Marin, you know, would have cons some concerns about some of the things that are being proposed with that TAM junction. I just don't see that kind of movement in the same way that I see the Sausalito Mill Valley connection, the school children using uh, this for commuting as well as uh, elderly. There's just so many users on that main Bay Trail that I don't think will be coming through. And I think if you did do a comparison of two and three and got into the land acquisition cost because what you have there in Tam Junction, it's kind of interesting, but I think there is, would need to be some land acquisition and um, to achieve that. Is that not true, Veronica? No, that's actually a, um, all on lands that's uh, okay. under open space districts. Well, the, the other uh, larger uh, issue I, and uh, Max had mentioned that you're doing this. So I think it would be important to, in terms of context, look at all of the bay trails um, in the county that would be affected by sea level rise. Think about the vertical profiles, what else you have to do. And it may be that a, um, 
a reduced cost emphasis with an elevated walkway here would allow you to accomplish some additional resilience planning on other segments of the trail because you're just doing, uh, and this would be a very expensive project for a very small segment, but you mentioned a six-foot increase in the vertical profile that would presumably have to be addressed both in the North Marsh and then as the trail continues into Sausalito. So I would think it would be important to have this larger context and do some comparisons as well as you go forward and make sure that the bicycle community and uh, um, school, schools are involved. You were fairly general about the buy-in of the community, but um, we haven't heard about it that much out uh, in our area, and I'm not sure the council and Mill Valley Park and Rec has been asked to weigh in. So those are just some concerns that as you go forward, and it, the whole process could be strengthened if you continue that two and three comparison, because in the CEQA document, you probably will need to have an alternatives, and if you discard um, two very early without any uh, examination, you may wind up, and it's not cost effective, to have to put that back in the alternatives analysis much later in the process. I, I appreciate it, Commissioner, and I will, you know, take that into account and consider, and I think, you know, this is, this is still going to be a long process, as was mentioned, and, you know, I think we're, we're always, you know, as we do all these events, listening to the feedback and ideas and considering how we can keep improving this design and planning. I just mentioned that, you know, I can't remember when we first started having these conversations six years ago or something like that. You know, from that point to today, every partner that we could possibly imagine has been in the room, you know, and, and of course we still are missing lots of people. So every time we do an event, there's folks that haven't ever been engaged before. And, and just like, you know, coming to your commission, as every time we have new commissioners, there's new folks, and that's why we keep doing events. But, the, but the schools, the cities and towns, the local BPACs, the Safe Routes to Schools, all those folks have been a part of these conversations since day one. And you're right, every, every design, there's trade-offs of what's faster, what's closer. You know, I think the other really big thing is that all these communities are also threatened by sea level rise. So they're also trying to figure out strategies. Do we need to build up levees to protect the communities? Do we move them back to adapt? Do roads need to increase? And so I think Rob mentioned in the beginning, you know, we were, in our first vision, we were thinking that having sort of a more expansive vision of where it could go, and we realized the complexity of what the cities and towns and local partners, Caltrans, others needed to do was... Um, if we tried to be too expansive, we would be we would take forever. So we we tried to dial it into the area that where we could accomplish a potential project and also be compatible with the local planning around that area. But um, but like I said, I think I appreciate your comments, and I think we're we are that's why we're bringing it here is to listen and, and learn. Actually, if you want to, if you think this is hard, try being the city planner for Corcoran. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yeah, underwater. Speaking of sea yeah. level rise, um, so my questions are much more mundane. Um, so Coyote Creek, 
you know, it flows from way back in Tam Valley and it filters out. How does it drain now? So right now it's in that um, channel. So the, uh, the, it's a, a former Army Corps con- um, project, channelization project. So uh, the part that is at the south end of the marsh um, is within uh, old levees that were built by the Army Corps. So there's no direct drainage into the bay. That's what. Well, it it it, it, drain, it drains right into Richardson Bay. Um, but, but not directly. It flows over. Does not flow through the marsh anymore. Okay, yes, so this completely plan would have it flow directly into the marsh. It would have the chan- it Would provide the opportunity for there to be a connection through those. Ti- there's about three tidal channels, mm-hmm. and we're, what we show is basically taking advantage of low points in the levee. Like the levee, the levee is severely eroded now. It's hardly much of a levee. So uh, we would uh, basically create some pilot channels into the marsh. Um, to allow for flow to go through it. But okay. it would also, but we wouldn't, uh, right now, we're not looking at um, diverting the full flow of Coyote Creek through the okay. marsh. And then the other question has to do is sort of a similar question. So the north part of the marsh, um, you were saying you were saying that it's, it's cordoned off from the south part? Yes, yeah, so the multi-use path is basically all on a earthen berm that mm-hmm. you know from the railroad and that berm is a, a uh, it's a barrier basically from flows between north and south Bothine. So, so how does the water get into the north part of the marsh? There is I believe like one uh, tidal inlet and if we look back at the history of north Bothine and some of you may already know this but it it was basically a berm that was constructed to retain dredge sediment. So mm. originally the thought was to develop um, that part of the marsh. And so a containment berm was created and then fill placed into that containment berm. So it's, comp- it's really a, a, a human-made uh, wetland system because at one point they could no longer place uh, fill in there, and it was undevelopable, so it just got it reverted over time into a marsh hab- and habitat. Who, who's responsible for maintaining it, the north part? So that's it's open space. It's the open space district, too. Okay. Yeah, but we don't maintain the, uh, any kind of levee system. Okay. The, the reason I bring it up, I was at the Redwoods over the weekend and was walking along the path there, which abuts that marsh that mm-hmm. north part of the marsh there was a an excessive amount of trash that was there and uh I, so, and the water looked not brackish i don't know what the right word is i went to davis i didn't learn anything <laughs> so uh, but the water didn't look like it was moving and so this plan would make there be more tidal action is that the yeah, yeah. So one of the problems is, is since it was all fill placed in these berms, um, there hasn't been channel evolution that has really happened. Um, there's just that one inlet, uh, and what we're proposing to do is, where there are some channels that it form, we would um, either expand them, make them longer, um, or uh, increase the capacity of them. Is there a thought to have putting a pump in to pump water? 
No, n not, yeah. We, we believe most of it should be able to flow in um, with, with gravity. Thank you. Questions? Questions in the chamber? Online? The first speaker is Larry Minicus. Please unmute. Yeah, uh, this really uh, appreciate this presentation this afternoon, and and we've been following this um, uh, for years. Uh, I think I heard six years, and that sounds about right here. And let's I heard safety, and let's do make sure that we are um, committed to safety over separation. Uh, the con the concern is um, you're going to have a lot of people entering at Tam Junction, and you might want to consider traffic calming measures along this along uh, this section. Uh, number five uh, on your map um, at Tam Junction there, you might even consider a roundabout. And really from sections two through four, which is the curvy section there, um, the unintended consequences of this beautiful new trail is it's gonna feel like a great raceway. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm not trying to be facetious. It, it, it's, gonna be, it's gonna be fun to ride along. And that's going to encourage a lot of speed, and I think you need to consider that. And I need, to, I think you need to consider where you may need uh, traffic calming on this. Um, as far as uh, the alignment of this trail, um, very much support um, removing uh, uh, the trail from the sensitive marsh and allowing this marsh over time um, to build back up. It's a beautiful area. Uh, we've toured it. I saw on your presentation, there's a couple of tours coming up, and I would really encourage everyone to go because it really helps you understand how um, um, restricted it is now and really how beautiful the area is and how sensitive it is. And so thank you so much. Cameron Guardado, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Thank you. So we move to item number eight. This year. Thank you. Thank you, Veronica. Thank you, Rob. And yeah, I invite you all to join any of those upcoming hikes and coffee hours. Yeah. And they are. Uh, can't guarantee tacos, but I'm sure, I'm sure at some point we'll have tacos again. Um, so let's see if we can bring this presentation up for the budget. And so this is the an annual presentation that um, usually Chris or I give to your commission each year as a part of our budget process. Um, we've we've brought you sort of our vegetation work plan and road and trail work plan and other components of it, and so this is sort of the the whole the whole thing together. Um, so if we go to the next slide. So this is looking at our uh, main revenue sources. So uh, you can see um, there's the open space district, which is funded through property tax through a measure A that was passed in the 1970s that funds uh, our open space district lands uh, management and then measure A, which you know, of course funds both parks and open space in addition to our uh, sustainable ag program and the city and town park program. And then uh, the general fund, uh, which is a combination of uh, general fund revenue, about half of that is general fund revenue and the other half is fee and lease revenue uh, that comes to our department. And you, you might notice that we are projecting um, 
$34 million worth of expenditures, and we're only bringing in $28.9 million of revenue. And that's because the last couple of years, we took a conservative approach to our expenditures because we knew that Measure A was the first version of it was ending, and we weren't sure if it was going to, the new version was going to pass. So we, um, we put together a fund balance um, that would allow the department to, to carry forward and wind down some of the Measure A activities in a, in a careful manner. And uh, at this point now that the measure is continuing, we're able to spend some of that fund balance on priority projects and planning. Uh, and then if we go to the next slide, um, this is looking again at our three main funding sources. You can see um, that the green there is uh, you know, our, our, our team, the salaries, benefits, and other fixed costs that also includes you know, ongoing um, you know, fixed costs around water and, and other services. Um, and then the orange there is services and supplies. That's basically our project budget. So, you know, one thing to note there is that Measure A really is um, our source for project funding. Uh, and then in, uh, in gray there, uh, in the Measure A funding, that's the Sustainable Ag Program, which is, um, of course, 20% uh, of the overall uh, Measure A funding. And then cities, towns, special districts get 15%. And then that reserve for acquisitions, that is the 10% of the 65% that's set aside for that program. And then if we go to the next slide, uh, this is, uh, you know, just looking at that, the detail of those employees that are from the, I think we're in green in that last, in that last slide. Um, so, uh, you know, you can see that the majority of our team is our is our rangers, maintenance workers, biologists, the folks that are out in the field. So we every year we employ 57 uh, seasonal staff members. Uh, we have 28, uh, um, you know, sort of facility maintenance-focused rangers, 22 rangers that are, you know, more focused on visitor services. Of course, they both, they both do all of it. So we, uh, our team, our operations team are, are generalists. So they, they, they all do maintenance and they all, uh, support uh, visitors as well. And then you can see our admin team, our road and trail team, our natural resource team, our communications team, and, and others. And then the next slide, uh, this is our project cost. So you can see we're budgeting for about $11 million worth of projects for the upcoming fiscal year. Um, you know, our biggest uh, area of projects is park facilities. Um, just followed by uh, the fuels reduction work. And, of course, that is a, a specific area of Measure A that's called out. We have a spending target for that. Um, and then road and trail management is sort of the next biggest area, public engagement, equity programming, um, wetland race to restoration, erosion control. One thing to mention on that, that this is only showing uh, uh, expenditures, projected expenditures from those sources. So... Some of these projects, like the wetland restoration work, sea level rise adaptation, we fund a lot of that with grants, so that's not reflected in these numbers. So going to the next slide, I'm just going to briefly highlight our focus areas, and we program our budget into these broader program areas. Uh, you know, 
our highest priority, every time we do a community survey, the community's highest priority is vegetation management. And we're really focused on defensible space. We have 3,500 neighbors that back up against our parks and preserves. We're also, of course, partnering that with a focus on ecosystem health, removing invasive species, restoring uh, our forests and grasslands. Um, we're partnering with local fire departments and the MWPA, and then, of course, our one-tam forest health partnership. Um, you know, as we mentioned, one-tam is one of the coolest things that uh, we get to be a part of. I feel super lucky uh, to work with the Parks Conservancy and our partners. Um, and then if we go to the next slide, we presented this to your commission, I think, at our last meeting. But, you know, this is our open data portal. All of our projects and work are in planning is available to the public to check out what we're doing uh, through this portal. Next slide, please. Uh, road and trail management. Uh, John just presented this in detail. But, of course, we have sort of three main goals for our road and trail management. Uh, you know, reducing the environmental footprint of our road and trail system, um, increasing safety and accessibility, and then um, at the same time making our whole system more sustainable. And then if we go to the next slide, please. So our, you know, our priority around equity and community engagement. Um, of course, this year one of our big items is the potential um, elimination of our entry fees. Um, you know, on our website, there's a full calendar of free events for the public, including um, more bilingual programming than we've had before. Uh, we have an equity roundtable, environmental roundtable, ways for community members and organizations to engage around planning and, and project development. And then we have our, our grant programs, our um, community grant program, the Breathe Respira program, the Sustainable Agricultural Grant program, and the... Um, the, the acquisition program that, that we presented about today. Next slide, please. And then we have our park facilities projects. As I mentioned, the McNears Pier, which needs to be repaired, is one of them. It's, it's not being funded through any of those sources. It's where it's um, likely either paid through our insurance or through FEMA, um, but is going to be one of our significant projects this coming year. Uh, signage. Um, there's a number of sort of smaller park projects and additional projects, which I'm sure we'll present to your commission throughout the year. Next slide, please. And then uh, conservation and climate resilience. So sea level rise adaptation projects, there's a lot of really exciting work. The Bothine project that Rob and, and Veronica presented about, our Bolinas Lagoon uh, Y North End project. Uh, we're planning work at McGinnis uh, Marsh as well. So. A lot of really important work there. Next slide, please. And that concludes my presentation. That was just a very fast uh, overview, but uh, happy to answer any questions you might have. Thank you, Max. Any questions from commissioners? Mike? I just have uh, two questions. Looking back at the um, budgeted project costs, I actually didn't see anything on sustainable agriculture and food systems there. Whereas earlier, you know, it was listed as a Measure A thing. And then following through on that, um, I would actually encourage you to have one more slide because of what Kevin's been doing and you hired a new um, staff person for uh, that system, that program as well. And I think elevating that, 
puts it then on par with the amount of money that Measure A is bringing in, and it seems to be kind of buried there under community engagement. And um, that, that's my suggestion. Uh, great suggestion. I appreciate it. I mean, I think we focused on the, the, what we consider our sort of core parks and open space funding, and, um, and that sustainable ag program is part of that overall 20% that goes to sustainable ag, but we do oversee that program. And, and actually, you're right, uh, Kevin's going to present on that program at, our I think, our next commission meeting and introduce uh, Sonia, our new yes. um, uh, staff member who's, who's coordinating that program. So uh, great point. Thank you. But wouldn't it be something you'd want to call out in this particular? Yeah, it's a great idea. Yes, thank you. I have a question about the community engagement. Do you, are you increasing the bilingual speaking rangers in the in the parks? Yes. Yeah. The you know in terms of we've I'm super thankful we've been able to hire more bilingual uh, Spanish speaking rangers over the la and landscape workers over the last few years, and and that enables us to have more bilingual uh, Spanish language programming. So. Um, that, that's just super exciting. And, you know, and additionally working with our community partners to also have um, bilingual or multilingual programming in our parks just enables us to uh, reach a broader audience and, and welcome more folks and, and engage them in our park programming. So, yeah, that's really important. Thank you, Max. Any questions in the chamber? Online? Chairman Guardado, there are no speakers in the queue. Okay, that brings us to the next, we'll go ahead with the next item, which is commissioner reports. Any reports from the commissioners? Starting with Mike. Well, I've been continuing to work with the Sustainable Agriculture and Food Systems Grant Program. Thank you, Mike. Uh, Pat? Just uh, on vegetation management, uh, I've definitely observed the goats and work. They do a great job with... Uh, fuel break work and material adhere, and I know they're moving around, but uh, I, everyone I talk to really appreciates uh, that effort by uh, county parks and open space. Uh, I already mentioned the bonds and uh, that bond measure, uh, resource bond measure, and we'll keep track of that in Sacramento. Uh, I was privileged to go to, uh, thanks to the county, to the Together uh, Bay Area uh, conference uh, which was uh, held just recently and it's, it used to be called the uh, uh, Area Open, Space, Open Space Commission which is probably a more descriptive name for it <laughs> but um, a lot of uh, uh, the nonprofits and public agencies that are involved in open space uh, are members as is this county and uh, it was really uh, quite nice to uh, be able to communicate with people all over the Bay Area who do this kind of work and understand the similar problems and issues that people are dealing with. And then just one last thing, uh, I, I've done a, a fair amount of work in the past on uh, public health and how it relates to open space and, and, uh, and, and, and parks. Uh, and, and this is something to 
to be reminded, maybe our communications people, I know they do, they talk about it, but it's something to keep out there because um, uh, it's been proven scientifically that people that do walk in the parks and do participate in, um, in, in activities in the open space areas, it's just a, a, a real plus in terms of their health. Something to keep in mind that it isn't just recreation or it isn't just vegetation management, but there's a public health uh, aspect to everything we do. Rebuttal time. <laughs> so this is my last meeting, and I wanted to say just a, for a moment, um, uh, I wanted to publicly thank the members of the Board of Supervisors for entrusting me with this position which I've enjoyed very much. I wanted to say uh, to you, Max, that you are uh, blessed perhaps more than you know with excellent staff from top down from you and Chris all the way down to the park rangers and the guys who, you know, shovel the gravel out of the roads. Um, this is just an excellent staff and I know you tell them that often, but my interactions with the staff that I've had is just, it's been just Wonderful, and, and this county and, and this the, the citizens of this county are just really blessed to have those folks working working in our behalf. Um, I wanted to say also, lastly, that when I was uh, appointed to the commission, I didn't have the particular parks and open space background that some of the other commissioners did when I joined, but um, I was really interested in getting Measure A passed, and so I focused my time on the commission uh, on getting Measure A done. And all of us on the commission have these little niches that we all try to fill, and mine was the political end of it. And so what I tried to do during the, the time that Measure A was going was to bring in more people than just the usual suspects. Um, I was on the steering committee. As most of you know, I was campaign treasurer for, the, for, the, for Measure A. But in that position, it allowed me to bring in folks that might not necessarily have been interested in, in the parks and open space uh, that this county runs. And so I was able to get a whole variety of business interests. I was able to get a lot of buy-in from city council members from the 11 cities in the, in the county. Um, and it was, just, it was just a wonderful thing for me to do you know my little part to get to get measure a passed um, and so my little niche was was it was a successful successful duty and I just wanted to say all these things and again thank thank you max personally for for what you've done for for the county I think Bruce's niche was larger than a little niche we, we really appreciate his work on getting measure double a measure a pass, I should say. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you, Bruce, for your, for your help and service. And uh, well, my report is uh, to continue the conversation about public health. Yes, we think parks is an important part of public. Everything is connected. So, and the proof of it is that the, on June 10, Kevin is not here, but the, he said that he's confirming that. Uh, parks is going to be tabling at our event, Fruit and Veggie Fest, which happens annually on um, in the Canal area. It's an event that public health does for the community to 
um, promote healthy eating, active living, and parks, is, parks and open space is part of the active living that Pat was mentioning. That's very important to health. So that's uh, my report, and we, I'm, I'm lucky that we're partnering, especially with Kevin, in that in that uh, situ in that uh, event. So there will be tacos, healthy tacos. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if there is any any other comments, uh, without further ado, I declare adjourn the meeting. And next meeting is scheduled for July twentieth. And we're we're planning a field trip for August. We're pre okay. Thank you. Don't attack the silence.